How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to episode 46 of The Way of the Wolf. So we've had a lot of entrepreneurs come on the show when we've talked about so many different challenges related to starting and running a business. But one of the things that we have never touched on is the basics of lending. Now, this is something that if you have started a business or run a business, you know the importance of being able to have access to cash and capital to be able to run your business. Some businesses are more capital intensive than others. Whenever I started thinking about who would be good to have on this show, it made sense to have a former guest come on, Daniel Wolfson. He has experience on the commercial lending side of things, but then also is an entrepreneur and has his own company that he runs with, with his wife, Chrissy. So, Daniel, welcome back to the show. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. All right. So talk to the listeners a little bit about your experience in the commercial lending side and then also as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So just to give you some background, some of what I am, um, <clears throat> I started in banking in 2002, mm-hmm. um, March of 2002. So this coming up March of 2022, I'll be celebrating my 20-year anniversary in banking, which All is right. kind of cool. Uh, I've done many, many, many jobs like we talked last time, but banking's been my passion. It actually enough to, it changed my trajectory, my education, it to force myself into accounting and banking and finance. Um, and then a couple of years ago, we started a business with my wife and that was eye-opening because I thought I produced the biggest support uh, for a business by financing a business or real estate or whatever. But what I realized is uh, finance was just a very, very small portion of, of uh, entrepreneur's life, of their operations. So I want to just talk about it from both sides, really. Um, but I really, I think the basis of this is a lot of people come to me and they have a hard time of figuring out where to start and how to start. Okay, so that is a perfect segue into my first question. I, Sean Barnes, want to start a company. What does the process look like? What do I have to figure out? What do I have to bring to you to be able to get access to cash or for you to lend me money? Yeah, that's a great <clears throat> great question, great way to start. So uh, I want to preface this by saying that I'm a community banker. A community banker that focuses on commercial real estate and small business startups. Okay, so it's a great question. Um, the individuals that I'm talking to are on the smaller scale of uh, business ownership or first-time investors, uh, or they have been investing for a while. So there are certain bankers, certain banks that focus on the larger projects. The, uh, for example, an energy company that is established that wants to borrow money. That's not me. So there's something called middle market lending, which is um, 20 million and up in revenues. That's not me. I'm working on the on the smaller scale. So most of what I'm going to go over are the very, very basics of lending. So you come to me and you say, Daniel, I want a car loan. All of these are going to pertain to it. I want a business. All of these are going to pertain to it. I want to build a, a $20 million hotel. All of these pertain to it. That's okay. kind of the basics. Good, good. All right, so I've got a note here. Seven C's of lending. Mm-hmm. I have no clue what that means. Can you shed some light on that for me? Yeah, for sure, definitely, definitely. So it's it basic. 
you know, you open up any banking 101 book, you go to any college class, and this is going to be there. It's called the four C's of lending. Okay. So the economic conditions that we have now, uh, being in this for 20 years and consumer lending in uh, special assets, which is figuring out how to liquidate deals, how to liquidate, uh, not relationships, but how to liquidate properties, kind of taught me to expand my thinking of how to make loans backwards, if that makes sense. So I'm going to go over high level stuff, but if it's, if it's too much or if there's terminology that you're not sure, just tell me right away. Um, I'm not your typical banker. (laughs) Uh, I always tell people that I'm not your typical guy. I'm, uh, I've been doing my thing for 20 years, just my way Mm -hmm. by giving options. Uh, I'm not a car salesman and I'm just going to tell you like it is. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Yeah. But I would say probably half of my job, what I focus on is prospect and education, and the rest of it is grunt work. It's sitting in front of a computer. It's putting together deals with title companies, appraisers, attorneys. Oh, God, there's 10 different things that you have to wrangle in. So I'm like the ringleader, right, okay. in, the, in the lending environment, is try to organize all of this together to make it easy for the customer. Yeah. So if I come to you and say, hey, I want $500,000 to start a consulting company, what are some things that you have to do on the back end? Do you do, I guess, market analysis and research to say, hey, is this business viable? Or like, is that some of the stuff that you do? I would say most of what I do is commercial lending. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say you want to buy an investment property. Okay. Uh, you want to buy a rental rental home. Let's say this, this property here, you want to buy it, lease it out. So that's something that I would do. Um, you want to buy a small apartment complex or build. Mm-hmm. That's something I do as well. Okay. Um, there are... In, in the banking world, it's a small world. And so some banks f- have different focuses on different things. Some banks focus on small business only. They're called SBA lenders. Some banks focus on commercial only, consumer only. So there's different niche in, in banking. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you come to me and you say, hey, Daniel, I'm going to borrow X amount of money, whatever that amount of money is, I'm going to start with the seven C's of lending. Okay. So number one, credit score. Right. I'm going to pull in, in order for me to ask myself and ask you, are you going to pay this debt back once I make you a loan? Right. And I'm going to look at your as an owner of a company, you're going to guarantee a loan. So what that means is you're going to sign on behalf of the loan. You're going to personally guarantee it. So if the business fails, I'm going to come knock on your door, literally, you know, and say, hey, Sean, how's it going? What's up? Um so if I pull your credit and I see that you're past due on XYZ, on your mortgage, on your house, on you have collections, that stops right there. That's Is there a like, certain number that you look for that you kind of feel more comfortable with? Yeah, so typically anything over 700 is a go. Okay. That's that's the standard in, okay. in all banking. Um, and some people have no idea what their credit is. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But that's not okay. If you're asking for money, th- these are the things that you need to be prepared for to before you go to someone like me or any other lender, whether you're buying a car loan or an investment property, you need to be prepared. And Credit Karma, great example. It's free. You pull your credit. You, you, know, you get some ads. But um, I think there's an annual creditreport.com. You get your credit and you see what it is. It's important to know there's always some things that, oh, crap, I didn't know this was on there. Or you go through a divorce, or you have your identity stolen. Things happen. So you need to make sure that you see those things and correct it. Because if you go to 
somebody and say, hey, I want to borrow a million bucks, and they pull your credit, your credit's a 500, that you're stuck. You need to, you need to figure it out. So you're not going to give me the money if Negative. that's where my credit's at. That's right. Okay. All right. Good to know. And I know this isn't really the topic of, of the show kind of at its core, but what are some things that contribute to a high credit score? Paying your debt on time, um, paying your monthly payments on time. The biggest thing I would say is credit cards, credit card use. So if you have a, uh, I always tell people, if when you, when you were walking through college and someone said, hey, Sean, here's a free t-shirt if you sign up for a credit card, I got caught that way too, you know? <laughs> hey, um, we're going to establish that credit card when you're 18 years old. Keep that card open for the rest of your life, whatever you do, because that's your oldest trade. There are some things that matter most. Your oldest trade, credit card usage. So if you have a $1,000 balance, you have to stay under $500. Keep that 50% or less. Okay. That's a big deal. Uh, obviously, pay your, pay your stuff on time. Okay. You have to make consecutive equal monthly payments on time. Mm-hmm. Collections, judgments, all of that pop up on there. Do you see somebody that maybe comes to you with a credit score of, let's just say, six, low 600, 600, 650, and they've never even looked at their credit, for example, but... Based on what you just said, if it's over 700, it's probably a go. Are there things that somebody can do in that moment or over a period of a few weeks or a few months to be able to get that score up higher? I always tell people it's very, very easy to drop your score Hmm. instantly. You go buy a car, you go through 10 different dealerships, and they're going to pull 10 different credit reports, and that's going to drop your score. Um, It's very, very tough to bring it up. So the easy thing is you see you see something out there that's negative and you dispute it. So don't use a credit repair agency. I mean, you can, some, most people do and that's okay, but you go to equifax.com, log in, create a login for free and you see something off dispute it. Um, there are some mitigants. Uh, mitigants are things that bankers look at and they say, well, we have to follow this, but there's always in every industry in banking as well, there's, there are the rules and there's, but there are things that we can look at differently. So medical collections, for example, you know, you've got a bill from a x-ray from two years ago that pops up, all of a sudden it's a collection. You never got a statement <laughs> like medical companies do. And all of a sudden it becomes a collection. You never got a phone call. So those are things that bankers see all the time and they disregard those. Okay. So there's a, there's some leeway, leeway but typically a 640 to 650 is the minimum. When you're talking about 700, 720, that's a good credit score going forward. Got it. Okay. Okay, so let's talk in our transition into conditions a little bit. So how do you help your clients determine how much to borrow? And does the economy play a factor in all of this whenever somebody's coming to you? Like, was it more challenging to get a loan 16 months ago than it is today? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Conditions is, is one of the most important things because people have to understand the purpose, why they're borrowing money. They may understand it themselves, but they don't want to divulge it. By law, you have to divulge what you're borrowing money. You can't just say, oh, it's just for personal use. I'm going to go spend it in Vegas, put it on red. Well, that's not going to happen. I'm not your guy. <laughs> it's a bookie. <clears throat> um, how much to borrow is is also a big deal. Some people really don't understand how much they want to borrow. They have a clue. Here's a business I want to buy, or here's a piece of real estate I want to buy, 
and they have a cost, right? So what we look at is we look at two things, a loan to cost and a loan to value. So if something costs you a hundred thousand, I'm going to bar, I'm going to lend you 80%. I'm going to lend you 80,000 of that and 20,000 of that is going to come out of your pocket. And that's, those, those are just a very, very general example, right? Because different things, uh, loan to cost is, is applied to different things that you're buying. A house could be 5% down, a car can be 0% down. So <clears throat> that, but your cost of something determines your loan, essentially. Okay. So I have some friends that are into uh, flipping houses and I'm curious your perspective. So if you buy a house or need to buy a house for $100,000, but want to invest 30000 in fixing it up, what does that look like from your perspective? So all banks look at that project as a total project cost, right? What is it going to take you from A to B or A to Z in this case, I guess, to buy the property, to renovate it, to uh, you've got closing costs, you have interest costs, you have, there's different things, attorney cost, engineer, all of those have costs involved in the project. So if you add all those up, it's going to be a hundred grand to buy it, 30,000 to renovate it, maybe 10,000 for extras, miscellaneous, maybe add another 10,000 for contingencies, the what ifs. And you, we look at 80% of that total. Okay. All right. So you can, and now some banks are, no, banks are different. Some companies will let you borrow a certain percentage of after repair value. It's called ARV. So you can actually go above the cost, especially in this market, right? Let's say a house costs you 150000 from start to finish, but your value is 200000 Some banks will let you borrow 80% of that 200000 Essentially, you're going in 0% down with no money into it at all. Well, that sounds like a sweet deal. It does like, sound like a sweet deal. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> There's a lot of, um, there, are, there are banks, there are community banks, there are big banks, and there are private, uh, what we call hard money lenders. Uh, hard money lenders have a really bad rap, but not all of them are bad. And it's just a, a way to borrow money without having to go through the bank stuff. Basically, that's it. You're going to pay a little bit more. Instead of it having a rate of 4%, you're going to have seven or eight or maybe 12%. But it's a, it's a way to get the deal done to get in, renovate, flip, move on, and you're making money. Okay. So I can, I guess I can see that if you're going to have a high interest cost on it, but it's only short term mm-hmm. because you're just going to flip the house. That makes sense. Get in, get the deal done and move on as long as you don't, as long as you're able to sell the house. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, a part of conditions is uh, something that we've sort of have to add lately are economic conditions. Um, if you were com- to come to me two years ago and say, hey, Daniel, I have this great idea and I want to build a, a Holiday Inn Express, I'd say, man, let's do it. Absolutely. You've got your down payment. You've got your project. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe not. Absolutely. Let's roll. Now, that's a different question because especially uh, now it's kind of coming back, right? But if you're talking a year ago, businesses were struggling. You know, media brings out the fear, stay at home, don't go anywhere, blah, blah, blah. So if you have that fancy hotel next to a ballpark that doesn't operate or a restaurant next to a bar park that doesn't operate, you don't have any business coming in. So that's that makes it tough. So uh, econ- economic conditions make it really, really tough right now to lend money. So I would imagine it makes it really tough because 
there's so many variables mm-hmm. as a lender that you have to account for. Right. Like your, your example you just cited as far as if you build a hotel next to a ballpark. Yeah. For example, uh, you know, we, we own a, a Martini's Manicures uh, and Nail Salon. If someone came to me two, three years ago, right, absolutely. Nail salons are everywhere. Now, people are still scared to go into places. Even now, you know, we're almost two years later, or people have resorted to doing things themselves. So there's still there are still conditions, economic conditions, where banks are weary of of uh, financing certain type of businesses. Yeah. So a little bit of a tangent here that I think would be valuable for the listeners to hear is with martinis and manicures. As far as as cash flow and you guys opened it up before the pandemic started. How challenging was that for you guys to be able to keep the lights on? When I would imagine you probably had no customers for a period of time. Did y'all get closed down? We did. We did. We started in December of 2019. So that's what four or five. That's four a few months, months before. Three months BC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you ramp up, and um, the landlord was very very helpful with 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 the cost with helping. Every landlord was helpful throughout the nation. Um. Because if businesses are closed, which we were for almost two months, you can't pay rent. You can't pay utilities. You know, So a lot of things we had to pay out of pocket. Um, and we did something different where we told our employees, no matter what, we're going to pay you to stay through this. Right? We don't know if it's next week. We don't know if it's next month. But we're going to continue paying you as if whatever your average was over the last three months. So... We opened three months before COVID and then ramped up and sales were great. And then we had to close down. So that created a huge challenge. Uh, luckily, the SBA came in and provided uh, business owners with PPP funds. So banks were scrambling to, to help business owners with that. I was as well. Um, and we were able to fund that quickly and help support rent, support uh, payroll, support all those, all those things. So that was a huge benefit, huge benefit that the, the government created. Yeah, which is, I think is a good segue into cash flow. When you talk about new projects versus existing projects, can you talk through that a little bit? Yeah, so I think um, there, cash flow and capacity. Cash flow is something that I've added in as, a, as one of the extra Cs. Uh, capacity goes well together with, with cash flow. So let's say... I'm going to, I'm going to keep using a rental property as, as an example, because that's, I don't know, that's what we've been talking about, right? So if you want to buy a home and you're going to lease it, I'm going to look at your existing capacity to carry the debt, okay? So most of the business of the individuals and customers I talk to are successful career individuals. Let's say they're working at uh, HP, for example, right? And they're making uh, 250,000 bucks and they have an extra 50 grand a year in something, right? You're going to put it into some sort of investment vehicle. If you're smart, you're not going to blow through it. You're going to put it into, um, hopefully you don't put it into an interest free account because that's not going to make you anything, right? You're going to put it into stocks. You may talk to your financial advisor, put it into bonds or something that's safe. Uh, what we realize is that is very volatile, and what everyone sees that's very volatile. Um, you might put it into Bitcoin. That's cool. Good for you. Um, but something that has never stopped is real estate, and that's why I can continue to do what I do. 
So a lot of a lot of business owners come in and do that, and they they say, "Hey, Daniel, how where do we where do I have to be in a year, two, three years to be able to do this type project?" Right. So capacity is a big deal because before I lend you money to do something, whether it's five hundred thousand for a business or a rental property, your existing cash flow after your expenses. If your property is is not leased or if your business is not doing good, what are you going to do? Are you able to pay that debt? Every single bank looks at that, no matter if you're borrowing 10,000 bucks or 10 million bucks. And cash flow flows into that because that's the cash flow of your project that you're doing. So if you're buying a rental property or building whatever it is that you're building, what is that future cash flow going to look like? And you have to know that. You have to know that well enough to present it to someone else. You have to tell your banker, this is why. And this is why it's going to make sense, or this is why it makes sense now. Okay. All right. That makes sense. What about collateral? <laughs> is that something that come, people offer up? Like, hey, I'm, I'm, cash flow isn't where I need it to be, but I've got this asset over here worth X amount. Do people ever come to you with that saying, hey, well, is this something we can work out? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Is this Absolutely. something you do? Yep. Okay. I do. Right. Collateral is a requirement on 99% of the loans. So okay. that's what a lot of people, that's where a lot of people stumble is, hey, I want to borrow 100,000 bucks. Okay. And a lot of banks do that. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, the big banks, Bank of America, for example, Wells Fargo's, they create, you know, $300,000 line of credits for companies. Unsecured. All you have to do is sign on the dotted line. That's a risk that they're willing to take that they've accepted. Community banks are a little bit different. They want everything to be collateralized. So if I'm going to lend you money on a $100,000 home, I'm going to take a certain percentage of that value and lend it to you. So if you, if you for, for some reason, stop paying, then I'm going to repossess that property mm-hmm. and pay myself back. Okay. So... Um, a lot of people say, well, I gave you all this collateral, mm-hmm. um, but collateral doesn't repay a loan. That's what a lot of people don't understand is all of this kind of goes into one big piece. Um, but my property is worth five times more than my loan amount. That's great. But we're not in the business to sell real estate. We're in the business to provide, to rent you money. And through your cash flow and through your capacity, you're going to pay us back. Got it. So just like when you go buy a car, mm-hmm. right? The collateral of that loan is your car. When you go buy, when you have a mortgage, the yeah. collateral is your is your home. Okay. All right. So I've got a note down here. Character, and the bullet next to it says none. <laughs> <laughs> what is that all about? Well, I put some mitigants mm-hmm. um, okay. next to some things. And some, if you don't have a certain C filled, banks can typically mitigate that. Okay. Right? So, for example, if you don't have enough cash flow, a bigger down payment will mitigate that. So you're looking at risk versus reward, right? If you if the bank is saying, okay, we're going to finance 90% of, of your cost for you, but you don't have any cash flow, you're going to say, okay, well, I'll put more money in. I'll put more skin in the game. And... We'll talk about capital. That's that to me is like one of the biggest ones, um, and then that may mitigate a certain C in here. Character. There are no mitigants. 
character we look at, are you a good person? Mm-hmm. Right? That's almost impossible to define. Yeah. But are you a good person in in the world? Are you a, a generally good person? Um, have you lied to me? Mm-hmm. Are you are you telling me that you make a million bucks on your personal financial statement, but then your tax return shows negative a hundred thousand? And you're like, well, I can't really tell you about that. Or I've got two million bucks in my safe, but I don't want to divulge it. That's a difference of character. Okay. Um, credit score falls within that as well of character. Because if you have a low credit score, it sort of defines that you don't have good character. So it seems a bit nebulous. And is this going to be it up is. to each individual lender whenever they're going through the process, just what their gut tells them? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So background checks are standard on all um, all loans over a million dollars. Most of the time, most banks will pull the background check. Uh, and that's something that you acknowledge and you allow when you sign a financial statement or an application. And of course, we want to know, are you a good person or are you a bad person? And the only way to see that is you look on a credit report for collections, for judgments. Uh, you'll see a background check that shows, you know, five years ago you had XYZ lawsuit against your company. That's probably not a good way to, to keep going. Yeah. So banks... Banks want to be, someone told me this 10 years ago, banks want to be the elephant in the room. They want to make sure that they see and understand everything before making you a loan because it's a risk. I was about to say, right? they're, they're taking on all the risk. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So one thing that we, we don't have on our notes here, but as we've kind of talked through this, I started thinking about with the majority of your customers or clients that come to you for a loan, let's just say it's some sort of property, rental property, because that's kind of the vein that we've been talking about for most of this, this episode. Do you see people come in and say, I, Sean Barnes, want to set up a rental property and I'm going to work with Daniel using my financials as like all of that? Or do you see Sean Barnes come in with an LLC of Barnes entities and build that loan and everything against that LLC? I see both. Okay. I see both. And I always recommend, I recommend, I don't advise. I, I tell that person to go talk to your CPA, go talk to your attorney. And what that attorney will tell you is you need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself against liabilities, against when I say liabilities, not debt liabilities, but liabilities is in you build a house and someone falls and they get hurt or they, you know, God forbid they die, right? They're not going to sue Sean Barnes. They're going to sue your sta- your entity, which is hopefully insured. a standalone insured entity. Got it. Right? Okay. So that's just a way for you to separate yourself from your company. Okay. Um, whether it's a new company, an existing company, banks don't care. What they're looking at is the individual behind it, and that's the important part. Okay, so whenever you look at cash flow, and to cite your example earlier, say somebody who worked at HP making 250000 a year, but this is going in under the LLC, are you looking at the, the individual behind it Absolutely. from a cash flow perspective? Okay. 100%. All right. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's the difference in, um, I'm going to give you this example for mortgages, mortgage lending, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac mortgage lending versus bank lending. So if I'm making a loan to to you to buy a home, just as your as your homestead, banks are going to look at your tax return. They're going to look at that one little piece, right? 
And whenever banks like like myself, like Austin Bank comes in is, great, Sean, you're making $10 million in your company and you're extremely profitable and you're paying yourself $500 a month to your tax return. And your business return is completely separate. It doesn't flow through, right? I can't finance a car for you. I'm sorry. That's what mortgage companies are going to say. Got it. But community banks or all banks in general, what they do is they take an extra step to look at a global perspective. Okay. Sean's company is making a ton of money. Sean is not. So they look at a global cash flow. Okay. So even if you have an LLC that's new or existing, you're still the owner of that company is looked at. Uh, in fact, any owners that own more than 20% are looked at. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you come to me and you say, Hey, Daniel, I own a third of this company. I want to borrow money. Cool. But what are the other two or three or four or five people think about that? That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're the member manager, executor, whatever, you still have to have, it's kind of like when you're buying a house um, with your spouse, you have to have your spouse sign off on it. Right. In Texas, it's a community property. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, capital. Capital. Capital is the last C. Yep. The most important C. Um, it's down payment. It's as simple, simple as that, down payment. Um, 2008, 2009, 2010, financial crisis happened. I think a part of it was because of capital. So a lot of banks were, you come, you come to me and say, hey, Daniel, I want to borrow 100000 bucks to buy a home. And I say, cool. I'll lend you a hundred thousand bucks because you're a good guy. The economy is going great and this property is valued, you know, quite a bit. And then everything goes to shit. What happens then? If you're, if you're debating whether or not to put food on your family, you know, in, in your home or pay your mortgage or your car notes, or are you going to pay for this million dollar land loan that's out there and you've just lost your job? you're probably going to say forget all that, right? So that was a big culmination of everything that happened in the financial crisis was the economy started going down, collapsing, and rents were not there, people were not paying, and people that did not have enough skin in the game, right, enough down payment or capital, started to forget it. I don't want to mess with this anymore. So they defaulted on loans. So when that happens over and over and over and over, that creates so much uh, property and loans that, that banks have to take back that it creates a collapse. Yeah. And we saw that a lot. I saw that when I was working in special asset groups, I saw that a lot. And all banks did that. During that time frame? During that time frame. Yeah. Yep. Now, banks have, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, completely changed that, completely changed that model. We're not going to lend 100% of cost or value. We're we're going to lend a certain percentage and you're going to put enough money down. Some banks, for example, I'm not going to give an example of a bank because I don't want to say anything negative, will only lend 60% of cost. So if you have 40%, if you have 400000 bucks of a million-dollar property invested, the chances of you backing out of that are very, very slim to none. If you have 5% invested, you're like, eh, I'm just going down the road. Let yeah. the bank take, you know, their big bag, bad bank, let them, like, let them take a loss. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, so before we start to wrap this up, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? 
There's a lot that goes in this. Yeah. A lot. And I thought I provided the biggest benefit to a customer until I was on the other side. Lending is just 10%, 15% of what the customer goes through. So I try to provide, I'm, I'm a generalist, what they call. So I try to be a one point of contact for everything, for education, questions. Hey, I want to set up an auto draft for, for everything to try to lead, to, to lead my team into helping this customer out in, in banking. So there's a lot to it. I tell people there are no stupid questions whatsoever. So if anybody has any questions at all about anything related to banking, reach out to me. Anytime. Anytime. I just called, <laughs> just had a call right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I pride ourselves myself in working for community banks that don't have an 800 number, you know, yeah. That's the worst thing when you call, whenever you have an issue, when you call somebody and you're routed to somewhere, you know, you don't know who it is, somewhere in a different state and they don't know you from Adam. And that's what I want to do is I pride myself in, in against other people's decisions. I put my cell phone number on my business card and, and I go through a thousand business cards a year is anytime you have a question, call me, text me, Snapchat me, Instagram, whatever you want to do. Because the biggest decision you're going to make, one of the biggest decisions you're going to make in your life, may be what we're working on. And you need to have an answer. Damn. Good for you. (laughs) That's how you build a strong network, though. You start building that trust over time. Yep. Oh, man. I love it. Well, hey, I can't thank you enough. I actually learned a tremendous amount here in this 35 minutes that we've been chatting. So thank you so much also want to take a moment to thank all the listeners. I appreciate y'all's support, all the reviews, the five stars. That's fantastic. I can't thank you enough for it. So that's all we got for the day. Y'all have a good one.